Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So the semi-final lineup is set in Madrid at the Davis Cup Finals. It'll be Serbia against Croatia and it'll be Russia against Germany. That after Serbia defeated Kazakhstan uh, in the deciding third doubles rubber. That was uh, quite the thriller. Uh, Russia versus Sweden was less so. Russia defeated Sweden in two rubbers. One of them quite exciting, it has to be said, but it didn't go down to the decisive doubles, much to the disappointment of 44-year-old Robert Lindstedt, who was waiting on the sidelines to have his last hurrah. Uh, his last arrival will now be in the bar somewhere in Madrid. Um, but that'll be your semi-final lineup at the Davis Cup finals. And we'll be talking about those two quarterfinals in a moment and looking ahead to the semis. But first, there is uh, a a big story in tennis or the latest development in what's been a very big story in tennis, one that's transcended tennis, transcended sport even. I had a... I had a BBC news alert about it yesterday and it's the latest statement from Steve Simon, the WTA chairman and CEO regarding the situation with Peng Shui, who still has not been heard from directly uh, by the WTA um, or by anyone outside of uh, the Chinese authorities, it would seem. Um, and Steve Simon has said that... Um, Chinese officials have been provided the opportunity to cease their censorship um, of uh, Peng and the Peng Shui situation in China, verifiably prove that Peng is free and able to speak without interference or intimidation and investigate the allegation of sexual assault in a full, fair and transparent manner. Unfortunately, the leadership in China has not addressed this very serious issue, issue in any credible way. While we now know where Peng is, I have serious doubts that she is free safe and not subject to censorship, coercion or intimidation. The WTA has been clear on what is needed here and we repeat our call for a full and transparent investigation without censorship into Peng Shui's sexual assault accusation. None of this is acceptable, nor can it become accept acceptable. If powerful people can suppress the voices of women and sweep allegations of sexual assault under the rug, then the basis on which the WTA was founded, equality for women, would suffer an immense setback. I will not and cannot let that happen to the WTA and its players. As a result, and with the full support of the WTA Board of Directors, I am announcing the immediate suspension of all WTA tournaments in China, including Hong Kong. In good conscience, I don't see how I can ask our athletes to compete there when Peng Shui is not allowed to communicate freely and has seemingly been pressured to contradict her allegation of sexual assault. Given the current state of affairs, I'm also greatly concerned about the risks that all of our players and staff could, could face if we were to hold events in China in 2022. Uh, he goes on to say that he very much regrets that it's come to this point. The tennis communities in China and Hong Kong, full of great people with whom we have worked for many years, 
Um, they should be proud of their achievements. However, unless trying to take the steps we have asked for, we cannot put our players and staff at risk by holding events in China. He says they feel they have no choice but to make this decision a huge and bold decision from the WTA. It's one thing threatening it. It's another thing following through. Um, there have been subsequent responses. We've had this from Andrea Gaudenzi, the ATP chairman. He says the situation involving Peng Shui continues to raise serious concerns within and beyond our sport. The response to those concerns has so far fallen short. We again urge for a line of open, direct communication between the player and the WTA in order to establish a clearer picture of her situation. We know that sport can have a positive influence on society and generally believe that having a global presence gives us the best chance of creating opportunity and making an impact. We will continue to consult with our members and monitor any developments as this issue evolves. Uh, the ITF have issued their statement and it reads thus, the International Tennis Federation, as the governing body of tennis, stands in full support of all women's rights. Our primary concern remains Peng Shui's well-being. The allegations Pung made must be addressed. We will continue to support all efforts being made to that end, both publicly and behind the scenes. And the IOC have put out a, a similar statement to that effect as well, referencing efforts uh, behind the scenes and quiet, quiet diplomacy, or words to that effect. Um, hey, he's putting his money where his mouth is, isn't he, Steve Simon? This is... This is quite something, David. Yeah, unprecedented, really. Um, certainly from him. He's been a, a quiet leader, really, for the past five years or six years since he took charge. And so this has taken me a little bit by surprise, very pleasantly so, in terms of just being mightily impressed with his leadership on this issue. And I think it's it's really open the eyes of the rest of the sporting world and the rest of the world generally to that that somebody would do this in his position with this much to lose there there cannot be a more invested sporting organization in a country sort of pound for pound in terms of what the WTA stands to lose by not having a presence in China than the WTA they are they went all in with their business into that country and built their financial foundations really for the next however many years 10 years on the fact that they were doing business in china now they're saying we're out unless this has a, a satisfactory resolution i i love the fact that even so even re despite all of that he's carrying on and they are carrying on and this and, and women's tennis is saying no we will not have it and we will not bow to money in in this instance and i don't know i just feel like that ultimately whatever happens in this situation that's drawing a line that is that is really important in in the world we need to live by values like that and it's it's interesting to hear the atp's approach you know kind of sort of shuffling along in their slipstream and and sort of going along with it but not wanting to say anything specific and definitive I, I saw Andy Roddick tweeted not long ago how to say a lot of words and say nothing in regard to what the ATP had said um you know I know they stand to lose something too and perhaps they're biding the time they want to see how it falls but I've loved seeing significant figures within the sport and within other sports stand up and say yes this is the this is just right and wrong and what they're doing is right. Yeah, it's very notable that neither the ATP nor the ITF statement even references China. Mm. Um there's definitely a very a very um uh a high wire act being performed as Mary Carrillo would would say and it's not that I don't understand the reasons behind that high wire act and they are absolutely not alone those organizations. I mean, it is the WTA and Steve Simon that are alone. The I as as you say, David, this is completely unprecedented. Every other sporting organization that I can think of that has had an opportunity or a reason or a cause to take a stand against China and its human rights abuses over the last 
10 years or also hasn't taken that opportunity or certainly hasn't to the extent that Steve Simon has. So I get it, but it is, it is disappointing. I mean, the line about generally believing that having a global presence gives us the best chance of creating opportunity and making an impact. I mean, (laughs) you know, if, 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 if that were really the most powerful way to, to make an impact, then, um, boycotts of apartheid South Africa wouldn't have worked and they absolutely did work and numerous other examples as well. I think that's a feeble attempt to create a fig leaf of, of morality. I think, you know, I, I, I get the high wire act, but don't, don't pretend that this is, you know, this is a moral stand necessarily or or a strong moral stand being taken. But, um, yeah. What do you think, Matt? Well, I think you've both said what I think really, um, when that, when that statement came out from the, from the WTA yesterday, I actually felt really quite proud, and and it's nice to feel that. Um, obviously, Steve Simon gets gets the bulk of the credit for that, but the point John Wertheim made, I think, was you know he also needed the backing of the board members, and the fact that I think so many players spoke out against it all sort of helped create that groundswell of opinion, and and the WTA have made their decision, and I'm you know, I, I fully support that. I think it's incredibly courageous what they've done. Um, obviously, that feeling of pride is is still contaminated by other feelings, you know, still immense worry for Peng Shui and her future. Um, I think there's quite a lot of anger that this has happened in the first place and there's anxiety about what the future holds as well. And then there's, there's as you've just stated, disappointment with not only the ATP's you know, what they've said, but the fact that they've not done anything either, as you've said, what's so impressive about the WTA is that they've backed up words with action in a way that the ATP just just hasn't. I mean, their words were not as powerful in the first place and there's, there's absolutely no action backing it whatsoever. Um, I think I've been pretty concerned about the IOC's involvement in this and, and their dealings. Um, you know, I think there probably is something to be said for quiet diplomacy at times, but the problem is it doesn't feel like that's what they're doing. It feels more like they're taking part in the sort of propaganda machine and, um, you know, saying she's safe, but not actually producing any video or transcript of the interactions they've had with her. They're not, you know, tackling the issue. They're, They're more covering their own back. So that still remains a big concern. But in terms of the WTA's action, I'm just like you've said, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with it. Mm. Same. I felt proud as well. Um, and you know, the, it, the story doesn't end here. I certainly hope it doesn't end, end here because we want news of Peng Shui. Um, but that is a big and decisive move. Um, and we'll, we'll see how, how the landscape shifts as a result. And of course we'll, we'll keep you posted on all of it. Uh, we are going to turn our attention back to tennis now, back to Madrid, where, where Matt, how, how, how much, how many? Not sure what the right descriptor there is. Churros, have you eaten since we last podded? Have you been deprived of your dinners? Should we get the violins out? <laughs> yeah, tennis starts and churros ends, sadly. Uh, so no more delicious meals for me, but lots of watching Mikhail Kukushkin instead similar yes Mm. which is which is its own joy isn't it i mean nothing can nothing can obviously equal churros but uh a mikhail kukushkin uh apology fist bump will go a long way to to filling the hole where where a churro could be (laughs) i I love it i love an apology fist bump in in all one motion sort of the sort of you know the actual movement mm. from open hand into clenched fist is just especially if the, if those two things are caught directly in the gaze of the opponent it's it's the best isn't it i mean he <laughs> was he he it was it was great that much we're of course talking <laughs> sorry i i should fill you in here shouldn't i <laughs> should fill the listener in um we are, of course, talking about the opening rubber of yesterday's quarterfinal. 
between Serbia and Kazakhstan. The opening rubber was between Misa, Misha Ketsmanovic and Mikhail Kukushkin. And it was won by Kukushkin 13 uh, 11 in the deciding set tiebreak. And yes, folks, it was as good as that scoreline suggests 7 6, 4 6, 7 6, 3 hours and 18 minutes and at that point after that match I was looking up did do Kazakhstan have doubles players is <laughs> is Kukushkin gonna have to play doubles after that <laughs> uh the the good news is that they had some doubles players not not winning ones Serbia did Serbia did win the tie uh poor uh Nadovyazov and Golubev didn't didn't do the business but at least Kukushkin didn't have to come out and play again mm. after that it it felt three hours and eighteen minutes, didn't it, Matt? What was it? What was it like to experience? Well, I was writing the live match report of this match, so oh, um, at at a set and Kukushkin serving for the match, I had it done and dusted, prepared, ready to hit send, and then, of course, Kechmanovic decided to launch this incredible comeback and ended up winning, I think, about six games in a row in the middle of that match to be up a break in the third, and it suddenly looked like he was going to win, and Kukushkin was on his last legs because not only was this a really long match, he'd also played a two-and-a-half-hour epic a couple of days before against Braden Schnur, and he just looked exhausted. And suddenly, with Kechmanovic having match points in the third set, Kukushkin had this new lease of life and started unleashing forehands and fighting back. And then we ended up in this tie break where the momentum was just swinging back and forth. Match points were coming and going for both players. And I must say the entire time, really, the quality was was really high. Kukushkin was going for his shots when match point down and taking risks and they were all landing in and Kechmanovic started to play better at this point as well. It was It was a really, really fantastic match, but one that did defy logic you know I sort of wrote in my in my match report something that I don't even think is possible the fact that there were numerous crescendos I think I think you can probably only really have one crescendo but it felt like there were so many moments where that was the climax of the match and then suddenly it veered off in this different direction and you had absolutely no idea who was going to win but goodness it was it was an incredible match and Kukushkin just loves the Davis Cup because he came into this tournament having won three matches on tour the entire season. One of them was before the Australian Open. One of them (laughs) was the Miami match against Jack Draper, where Draper had to retire. And the other one was at the Olympics. Those are the entirety of Kukushkin's main draw wins on the tour. And yet he's shown up at Davis Cup and he said... My teammates didn't tell me, but I knew they were worried about me because I was playing so badly. <laughs> but but he said, I believed in myself and I've turned up this week. Something has clicked and he's won back-to-back matches for the first time all year. Just just a real, you know, sort of good story, I think, Mikhail Kukushkin in Davis Cup. Before yesterday evening, David, if I'd said Mikhail Kukushkin to you, what would have sprung to mind? Probably Davis Cup, actually, because I, I feel like I've been here before where he's just been playing out of his mind. And I mean, look, he's been around for so long, hasn't he? I mean, he's. Well, well that's it. That's sort of what I'm getting at with the question because he's been around yeah. for so long. I've watched so many of his matches one way or another. And yet I don't think I could have pulled one specific no, I, I can, memory. I, I can out only pull yesterday. sort of vague Davis Cup moments where he's played above his level almost and surprised me in what he's been able to do this was this was another level altogether all just because of the grit that he showed to stay in there how much he desperately wanted it and as matt was saying the fact that he kept going for his shots and that they both did that they, they were just both knocking lumps out of each other when the stakes were so high and and i have such a lot of time for that because i mean i was i, I felt like i was gripping the table while I was watching it, you know, uh, because they, it meant so much. And, um, and yeah, they were just, they were just blasting the ball at each other and one would get stretched out and he'd come up with an even more extreme angle than, then he'd cut down the light, you know, and you feel that you, some of these points are never going to end. And the fact that he, I started to feel towards 
the end went because he he got himself back from four one down and then four one down in the tiebreak as well. And I I just started to feel like it was almost destined for him that he. He he looked like he believed it was just going to happen, and Ketsmanovic had, had 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 so many disappointments. Really, he should have won the match, and uh, yeah, he, he he deserved it though. In the end, did did Kukushkin? He did, uh, not least because there should be a new rule that it's game set and match when someone does an apology fist pump. <laughs> What point uh, was that? Just, just I was trying, hand I, him the win. I remember watching it and just laughing. And uh, I can't remember when it happened now, but uh, yeah. I can't either. He might even, did he do two? <laughs> it was definitely one that was picked up perfectly on, it was as if it was choreographed. Ketsmanovic was, it saw it. It was picked up perfectly on camera. It was all so glorious and it should have been game, set and match. But anyway, justice was done. Kukushkin won in the end. Um, but because Serbia have the best tennis player in the world, it 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 was it was a win. I mean, with all due respect to Alexander Bublik, um, it was a win to just to kind of tread water, wasn't it? It was a it was as if that match was being played at minus one for uh, Kazakhstan, and Kukushkin was playing to level things up, even it, even though it was the first tie, uh, first rubber being played of the tie. Um, out comes Novak Djokovic afterwards and did Novak Djokovic things. Yeah, and what was really impressive, I felt, about Djokovic yesterday was the fact that he watched the majority of that Kukushkin-Kechmanovic match from the stands, you know, living every moment. And there is the most glorious photo taken where Kechmanovic has not capitalised on one of his four match points. And... The photographer has caught Djokovic kneeling down on his haunches, head in his hands, despairing over that moment. Oh, God, I'm going to have to play doubles. (laughs) Literally. And so for him to go from that feeling and then to just go on to court against Bublik, so calm, so composed, so confident and just do the job. You know, I think we can take that for granted, but that was really impressive from Djokovic. And he did just do the job, you know, just... Yeah, that's such a good description. It was just efficient, so efficient. It was... That's such a horrible adjective, isn't it? It makes it sound so boring, but it was just... I know I'm going to have to play doubles here. I I just need to get this win on the board for my country and be better than him. And he was. Yeah, and look, Bublik is a tricky player, as we know, and yet... Djokovic just handled him, which was especially impressive considering they've never played each other before. And obviously it's a it's a big deal for Bublik to have to play Djokovic for the first time. But there was there was no adaptation period required at all for Djokovic. He, he I think he broke in about the third game of the match and was never really in in any danger for the rest of it. It was just just emphatic. Yeah, from very early stages of that match, there was a okay, let's just just bring on the doubles feeling to it and of course there was a bit of a delay for the doubles because Djokovic had to to turn around uh he was playing in both alongside uh Nikola Kacic yes uh, against Golibev and Nedovyasov and the one time before that Djokovic had played Golibev and Nedovyasov was in 2016 I think and Djokovic lost alongside Zimonic um and Djokovic came into that Doubles match on a three-match Davis Cup doubles losing streak. This was so this was by no means the difference a maker here was Nikola Kacic. We that are your assessment. <laughs> Has Djokovic finally found himself a doubles partner that is up? to muster well what's interesting is Kacic has an, a completely different energy to the one that Troitsky had in 2019 playing with Djokovic Troitsky was uptight and nervous and worried about the whole thing Kacic was jumping up and down like a puppy after almost every point he was so excited almost too excited and, and in fact he had a real drop off in the second set and I think that's why Serbia lost that set but generally he did seem to embrace it a lot more they they'd already played one match together in in the group stages and really pushed uh Kravitz and Puet so I think maybe they they got some confidence from that and yeah I thought they I thought they gelled pretty well apart from in that second set where 
where they really didn't play well or Cat Cheeks didn't anyway. Where did this sit for you, David, in the in the pantheon of exciting doubles that we've seen during this Davis Cup finals? It was it was six three in the third for Cat mm. and Djokovic, wasn't it? But but both of the opening two sets were they were sort of one sided. Yeah, this this was both nowhere ways, near. weren't they? This was nowhere yeah. near to me. Uh, I mean, I, I yes, I felt like Serbia had a, a letdown in the second set, and and their opponents played well. Don't get me wrong, but. I always felt like it was they just needed to reboot and they would end up winning. There were a couple of nervy moments and there was real exhilaration when um Kacic and Djokovic broke. They they were they were pushed chest bumped. But, and they f- and they found the answers, didn't they? And as you say, they they chest bumped. They really they were up and about, you know, and they were getting getting the crowd going, getting their bench going. But I I I wasn't engrossed in that doubles match the way that I have been in several others because I kind of felt that that is just going to be the thing that happens in the end anyway. That is that is harsh on Golibev and Nadovyazov, but <laughs> I will take this opportunity to stop putting myself through the ordeal of having to say Nadovyazov. I think you quite uh, like it secretly, Catherine, because you keep <laughs> saying it and you kind of really relish it. <laughs> that I was think. the last one. It was the last one. I've done it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So Serbia three, they'll play Croatia in the semi-finals, and and to call that a rivalry does it? You know that's that's more than a sporting rivalry. That's that's a that's a lot. Um, that's that's a lot. Mm. Yeah, um, and I mean obviously their their whole history of of the wars that they've had, and including a, a pretty recent one. Um, but also, you know, the shared territory in so many ways. And, and it's quite interesting, you know, that there's a lot of nostalgic people as well about what uh, the former Yugoslavia used to be. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's an immense sporting rivalry. Uh, there's, there's Goran Ivanisevic who'll have a sort of foot in both camps. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what he'll be thinking watching back home. He'll be thinking, come on, Croatia. Uh, I, Surely, I, I would. You can't I, rewire yourself. No, I, w- I would agree with you. But he I mean, carried the flag for Croatia 
at their first Olympics as an independent nation. Yeah. No, I'm sure. I don't I'm care sure how much he loves Novak Djokovic. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure but, he will. Um, but I think what is interesting is obviously you, you that national rivalry is is there and it's it's so much bigger than sport. But in terms of the actual individual participants involved in this match, there's very little rivalry. And in fact, it's actually friendship. You know, mm, the Serbs are, are actually friends with the Croats. I was speaking to Marin Cilic today and he was saying Borna Goyo is, is always practicing in Belgrade. Krajanovic uses Cilic's fitness trainer. There's a lot of crossover in terms of the, those players and their teams. And it's... I mean, it just isn't a rivalry, really, between those players normally. I just hope that Davis Cup countries, it comes out and we get a little bit of spice. I've met yeah, twice before that, in the Davis Cup. That's all very lovely, Matt, but it doesn't sound like a recipe for an apology fist pump, which is <laughs> which is basically what I'm living for. Oh, I think uh, I think once the heat of of the fight gets going it'll all come out if especially if it's close i think the key is Mm. is it going to be close or not because somebody's going to have to win a singles point for croatia really it's it's hard to believe that chilic is going to get a point against djokovic i mean they they, their record is so one-sided i think he has he he, he's beaten him once maybe has he ever beaten him at all it's 17 2 it's it's the queen's the queen's final Of of Yep. of 2018 and also Paris one year, mm. uh, Paris Masters. So, you know, an, an indoor hardcore. But Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, I, I've I've sort of basically planned my whole week around the <laughs> idea of Djokovic playing against Mektic and Pavic. That's kind of, that's what I want to see. So there needs to be a double. So Borna yes, Goyo, pull your finger out again. <laughs> Come on, Borna. <laughs> He's been your man two, so far. Two and David. oh so far. Yeah, we don't know why he got dropped for that second one, though. That's still a mystery. And the, anyway. other, the other chap got the win as well. So, you know, maybe, maybe they'll spring a surprise. Borna Goya would have been the higher-ranked player in that match had he played. So maybe that's why he was dropped. Like, it just... It just <laughs> he only he works only, as an he, underdog. He, he, only only up, an he only does upsets. Okay. I feel like I'm learning a lot about Borna Goya. And we'll learn more tomorrow, hopefully. Oh, and... and uh, sorry, I should say, there's... There is real uncertainty over who will play that match for Serbia as well because, you know, we've spoken about Kecmanovic playing for Kazakhstan. They've used all their options in that point. Dusan Lajevic played one match and Filip Krajanovic played a match as well. So they've all played. Lajevic was the only one who won and he then didn't hasn't played again. So Twitsky really keeping his options open with that number two singles position. Good to have options though, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, good problem to have, as they say. Uh, speaking of options, Russia or the Russian Tennis Federation, uh, as they're known in this competition, continue to motor. They're through to the semi-finals, where they'll face Germany. Uh, they got a two and zero victory over Sweden today. the The doubles wasn't played, but it might have been played. There was there was discussion about whether to play the dead rubber doubles, and after quite a lot of discussion they decided not to and we don't really know what triggers the discussion and what is said during the discussion but I'm really pleased that they didn't play it because this is absolute elite sport and should be about you know to quote Stefanos Sitsipas being prepared to die on the court and <laughs> dead rubber doubles just dilutes that for me it's it's okay if um you've had two utter duds and the crowd just wants something to cheer themselves up. But Well, these weren't duds, were they? I mean, no. Rublev against Elias Immer was very, very far from the, a dud and Medvedev against Mikhail Immer was a lot less of a dud than it, it could have been. Certainly that that first set, Mikhail... Uh, you know, it had a it had a very sort of foregone conclusion feel about it early on. Medvedev took the took the early break, and Mikhail really showed something. I think by sticking with him, breaking back, and really just trying to hang tough, and eventually not having enough, but you know, keeping Medvedev honest. I think, but yeah, it was all it was all about that that opening rubber, wasn't it? That was where the crowd got enough of their money's worth that they didn't have to cry out for for dead rubber doubles at the end. Yeah, uh, and it well, it didn't look like that match was going to actually be 
competitive after a set. Rublev won the first set 6-2. And just as has happened in all of his matches this week, and in fact also happened when he played Kasper Ruud at the ATP finals, he just had this huge lull in the second set where he got too uptight about being broken back or, you know, he suddenly gets really emotional, really sort of, he starts playing with with a fear is how he puts it. And that I think is accurate because suddenly his, his game looks far less potent, far less impressive. And actually he sort of almost was teeing the ball up for Emma to start unloading on his forehand and, Emma's Emma's quite interesting. He really rates his own forehand, which I find quite funny. But I mean, obviously great. <laughs> you, and you, you and your backhand. Like me and my backhand, yeah. She says, I've got a great forehand and when it's working, I'm tough to beat. <laughs> Does he hate other players with good forehands like you? <laughs> his whole game just goes to pot when he sees someone turn up with a good forehand like mine does. Um, so... You know, Emma played brilliantly in that in that second set and carried it on in, in in the third set. He's been he's been really impressive this week. I think some of the best tennis he's ever played. He's he's worked with Sudling in the past. He likes that dynamic on the bench, I think. But yeah, Rublev's got a problem here because it cost him the match against Rude at the ATP Finals. It cost him the match against Lopez the other day. He just got through it against Ecuador. He just got through it today against Emma. But he needs to stamp this out he needs to be way 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 more ruthless and i mean he's he's, a, he's aware of the problem of course he is but so far he's not he's not really been able to do anything about it but we, you know we've dis- discussed a lot re- you know most recently with marin Cilic, but endlessly discussing it aren't we how quickly mental baggage mm. accumulates and you you do have to nip th- these things in the bud quickly and and it seems so it, he's so brittle, isn't it? It's just so easy to to find a chink and for that chink to suddenly become a chasm in his self-confidence. He goes, it, it's, he goes dark in the eyes. Uh, yeah, and, it's, uh, it's very bizarre. Suddenly the world is a terrible place in the world mm. of Andrei Rublev. And I don't, I don't like to see that. I, it's... It's it's a tough watch. You find it really stressful to watch, don't you? Yeah, it's a tough watch to see because I kind of feel like he he. I don't know what sort of sort of um, psychology work he does off the court, and I know. Look, I know he's suffered with depression in his in his life, and um, and lots and li- little bits of what I see about him. He seems like a lovely chap, you know. He seems to have a really f- fun and quirky personality, and around the other players they all seem to everybody seems to like him but it feels that he needs to do a lot of work to understand what's going on in those moments and to find a find a, a fix of some kind because it is derailing him yeah but i mean he he just, he squeaked through today didn't he 7 6 in the third and it, it was sort of nip and tuck all the way until the tie break. We should also say that. That's two that's twice now we've ended up with situations where we've seen this happen to him. And yet actually in the doubles the other day and here he's he's kind of found his way through. Maybe maybe he should do because he's against inferior opponents. But I mean look, I still think there's work to be done. Yeah, but Matt's just also listed a number of matches where he it cost him. Yeah. Cost him and his country. Um I still don't I still I still don't think he'll be dropped as the number two player, but... No, I mean, I don't think Shamil Tarpashev, Russia captain, makes many decisions. <laughs> That's the sort of vibe I get. If Rublev wants to play, he plays. And look, honestly, there's probably something to be said for, you know, after that Lopez defeat, telling Rublev, go out there and get a win because we might need you later in the competition. We don't want you sort of sulking on that on that loss. Obviously, it almost backfired because he almost lost again. But I think you want to send out a message, don't you, I suppose, with your team selections. And look, maybe Hatchinov and Karatsev are not playing well and Rublev is is their best option. And look, he got the win, so it, it worked in the end. Yeah, it, is Tarpashev just too over it to make decisions? <laughs> he has been doing this job for 712 years. <laughs> That is a long time. I don't know exactly how many years it is, but it is so long. It's since the 70s, isn't it? 
Well, he started in the 70s, then I think had a rest and then came yeah, back. Brief rest, yeah. <laughs> mm. Regrouped himself to make a few more decisions and now just, <laughs> you know, sits there. Good luck to him. Uh, and he'll have to sit there while Russia take on Germany in the semi-finals. Uh, do we give Germany much chance? I think this is very similar to the other semi-final in that they've got to win that first singles, the number two. Mm. Um, because I really don't think Struff is beating Medvedev, not Medvedev in this form. I mean, frankly, not Medvedev anyway, but Medvedev's looking really good, I think, in this in this tournament. It's Goyovchik's moment. So I really don't think so, because what we saw from Goyovchik, bloody hell. <laughs> Mate, this is redemption time. He doesn't go to, he doesn't become a rubbish player. There's, there's, there's no coming back from that. Oh, yeah, but maybe there's a, I don't a clip so. for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, look, I think Kupfer will probably play, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was a surprise that Kupfer didn't play when Goyovchik was was put in and Dan Evans thought there was some sorcery at work, didn't, didn't he, about the timing of that substitution. And was, so he, was he fully fit, Kupfer? I suppose we don't know that. Dan Evans thinks so. Hmm. Who knows? So we're looking at Rublev against Kupfer question mark. That's going to be the critical, critical yeah. time. It would Rubber. be fascinating if it came down to the doubles. Oh, because yes, it would. Germany, you know, Germany have got that established, successful pairing, and Russia muddle through in the doubles. They play well, Rublev and Karatsev together. I think that would be would be really interesting. I just just can't see it getting. There. I'd make Germany favourite if it goes one or. Yes, I think I think I would too. Actually, they're really good. I, those I, two. I, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I think I, I agree with Matt that it's un, unlikely to. But look, I mean, every, the, the other aspect to this Rublev situation is that everybody knows about it. Every mm-hmm. every player that goes out to face him is having the chat with their captain, and and or their coach beforehand, and they're saying he's really brittle. You you just just hang in there and just that in most matches, even defeats, there'll be a moment. There'll be a moment where you get a break back or you get a break or something and seize upon that and stick the knife in and watch him fall apart, you know. So I don't because it could it could get interesting, I think. Um, and I, I really hope it goes down to the to the doubles. But uh, but we'll see. It'll be. Tomorrow that we see Croatia against Serbia. That's 3 p.m. UK time, 4 p.m. Uh, Madrid time. And then it will be uh, Saturday for Russia against Germany. And, of course, the final on Sunday. And the Saturday match is earlier. Yes, uh, midday. A, midday UK, 1 p.m. here. I think to give them more recovery time ahead of the final. Yes. Okay. That all makes sense. Okay. Well, I think that's it for your roundup of uh, quarterfinal action. There's just three ties to go, two semis, one final. David, going to wear Croatia colours tomorrow? Uh, I, I suspect we will be seeing some of those. My son has got the, the full football strip, so I think that that will be making an appearance. <laughs> at some Love point. that. Love that. <laughs> And I reckon your son could probably nail a apology fist bump. As oh well. yeah, yeah. He he, so he he wins. He would definitely be good at those. Yeah. In fact, I better I better tell him about those. And uh, yeah, you'll be seeing them. Get practicing. Everyone should have one in their repertoire. We'll be doing we're doing daily podcasts from now on to the end of the Davis Cup. So we'll be back with our next one tomorrow. You don't have long to wait, and then we've got another one. Uh, Saturday and on Sunday as well. We had the news yesterday, which we should cover uh, very quickly, uh, that former British number one multiple Grand Slam semi-finalist Johanna Konta is to retire from the sport at the age of 30, which... I don't know if this is I don't know if this is a one of those sort of guilty of being too much of a tennis insider thing didn't surprise me at all. I've had the feeling of her career being winding down for for a long time for various different reasons I think but I had several texts from friends with a casual or passing tennis interest in 
in the UK yesterday expressing massive surprise um, at Joe Conter's retirement. So, yeah, I think it's a bigger story than I really realised that it was because it is it is um, a young age to retire in, in, in modern terms. And, you know, she obviously still has very good tennis in her. Her rankings dropped outside the world's top 100. And I, I suspect the what would be required to try and get her ranking back up, you've got to have appetite for that. You've got to be hungry. And I don't don't think she is for the sport anymore. And that's that's fine. She seems, from what I can tell about her, at peace with this decision. Yeah. Uh, I think given what it requires of a player, and particularly of her, I think she's she found it finds it pretty stressful some of the life and some of the glare she was explaining that in the WTA interview she did uh, yesterday and yeah now she just feels is the time i think to step off the 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 never ending treadmill and i think i think probably it's it's speeded up by the the issues of the the pandemic and the bubble life and the quarantines and all this sort of thing and she's had horrible injuries. I mean, her, her her knee injuries have really got to her. I think over the last couple of years, and and but overall, I I think she's sandwiched between Andy Murray's Grand Slam winning achievements and the sudden emergence of Emma Raducanu. And actually, I think it's easy to forget just how well Conta did and how how surprising her emergence was because I I never thought she would be a a top 30 player, let alone world number four. I, I really didn't. Not until she had that run at the US Open where she beat Garbini Magarutha and then suddenly started just appearing at all the big tournaments and winning Miami and and reaching the semis of the Australian Open and got to commentate on her doing that and and then reached the semifinals of the of Wimbledon with those incredible wins over Donna Vekic and Simona Halep. I mean, there were some fantastic Joe Conta memories. I mean, I, I was commentating for BT Sport at, in Singapore at the WTA finals when she she missed out on qualifying by one match and she was there as an, an alternate. And uh, yeah, it was, she had some near misses, but overall, I think she got, the best out of herself, quite Tim Henman-like, really, in terms of a career, and and those the the achievements of the two of them stand pretty similarly side by side. So, yeah, good career, a very very good career, and yeah, wish her wish her the best. Yes, she has five dogs, so she'll be fine. Five dogs. Five, yeah. Where'd you put those? Blind. <laughs> and I think three three are Hungarian Vizslas, and they are hefty. Blimey. I didn't know mm. that. As soon as soon as I heard about uh, all her new dog acquisitions, I thought, well, she's retiring. She's, <laughs> that's, that's a full-time job. No, I wasn't surprised either, by the way, about her retiring. I mean, I'd, I'd started to hear things for six months or more that, that she, she'd kind of had enough and was looking for the right moment. And I think Wimbledon was her intention probably of this year. But um, then she uh, her team member got COVID, then she got COVID, and that's the end of it. Um, but uh, yeah, not not a surprise. Just to say, I've always thought of Joe Conta in in the same terms that you've put it there, David, as a real maximizer, someone who got the who got the best out of their career, who spent you know most of their career really on the ITF circuit, grinding away, and suddenly had this this breakthrough, and then became a real mainstay of of the second week of of the biggest tournaments. That's that's always been my impression. Interesting, I thought, to read Chris Clary, who who tweeted that, okay, he hasn't necessarily followed Joe Conta's career really closely, being being an American writer rather than rather than with a British focus. But he he described her as someone who perhaps didn't quite make the utmost of her career given her performances in those biggest matches. You know, we think of I think mainly the Vondrosheva semi-final at Roland Garros probably also maybe the Wimbledon quarterfinal against Stritzkova. There were these occasional matches where she looked serene throughout the tournament and then she would get to that big match and for whatever reason, she didn't quite play her best. And I think you you wrote in our newsletter, David, that perhaps, you know, just, just her style of play, quite mechanical and methodical. It always looked like she was thinking about her tennis and perhaps in those in those really biggest matches that held her back just a little bit. 
Um, so I thought that was an interesting, different, slightly different perspective. But obviously, mm-hmm. obviously the same point still remains. I think the fact that she got into those positions in the first place was was really an, an incredible achievement considering what the majority of her career was and the sort of tools she had at her disposal. Yeah, absolutely. So happy retirement, Joe Conta. Good, good luck with the dogs. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, so that's it for today's tennis podcast as i said there's another one tomorrow so you don't have to miss us for long we've got our mascots rogue zeus and scousel mousel uh david and i are still in the game with rogue and zeus matt's Matt and Scouser Mousel have been out of the game for a while. Uh, <laughs> Billy Jean took herself to bed some time ago. She's sponsored by Billy Jean King. Uh, Mocha is our lovely chocolate lab mascot for the week. Seven, 17 months old, I think, Mocha. We, we like Mocha. Smiley. Smiley and lovely chocolate labs are a treat always. Uh, we have Chris Albert Lee, who is our executive producer and top bloke. And we have a shout-out. Please let it be for David's dad. We've already had my dad. <laughs> we've, or, we've had David's dad. Have we had Trevor? Yes. Mm. Okay, mate, well, for your mum then, Matt, or my mum, someone's mum. My mum forgives your swearing, by the way, Catherine, which I think yes, is, is big. Uh, yes, that was a big it, revelation. That really touched me. Yeah, she didn't do that for yeah. many people. <laughs> Although she then she really in, genuinely moved by in that. the same breath she admitted that she occasionally does it, mm. which I was absolutely mortified <laughs> by. And Catherine and I were fist pumping at that bit. <laughs> yes, brilliant. Mm. Okay, so Any, anyway, I don't believe this is a relation. Uh, shout out for Reginald Basil. Well, you say that, Matt. Oh, hello, <laughs> Reg. Awesome, <laughs> Reg Basil. Basil like the herb? No, I mean I must say I'm not entirely sure of the pronunciation. B A Z I L E. That's cool. Wow, that is cool. I wish my name had a Z in it. <laughs> you can get them changed, can't you? Where would you Where would you put it? Catherine Catherine Z Whitaker. Yeah, you should just do that. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Z. Like like G- General Zod from one of the Superman movies. Superman two, Catherine. <laughs> Superman 2, yep. yeah, that's the one. Classic, classic. Okay, well, Reginald, uh, great name, and thank you for your support. Uh, we appreciate it very much indeed. Congratulations on having a Z in your name. You are cool. Uh, we'll be back with another one of these tomorrow, so we'll speak to you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 